on today's episode of the Real Foodology podcast. The the way by losing weight, you'll have to change things in your life to get your body healthier. And that will then allow you to lose the weight. So we always look at it from a standpoint of health. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the Real Foodology podcast. I'm your host Courtney Swan. I am the creator of Real Foodology, which is of course this podcast, as well as an Instagram, more recently a TikTok, and started out as a food blog in 2011. If you guys love this podcast, please rate and review it. It helps me so much and it helps get this podcast out to more ears. So I would really appreciate it. On today's episode, I speak with Dr. Stephen Cabral. He is a naturopath, an Ayurvedic and functional medicine practitioner, and he developed his passion for health and wellness after going through severe health complications at the age of 17. He saw over 50 different doctors, tried over 100 different treatment protocols, but he still saw no hope of recovery. And it wasn't until he met an alternative health doctor whom explained to him how he got here and how he could become well again. And that is when he began his recovery process. It was at this really young age that he knew his life would be dedicated to helping others rebalance their bodies and renew their health. He has now seen over 250,000 patients. He has 5,000 hours of doctoral work under his belt, 220 hours of internship, and 600,000 pages of research study. This guy really knows his stuff. We talk about functional medicine, what it is, why you would want to find a functional medicine doctor. We talk about weight, how to lose it in a healthy way, and so much more. We also mention Ayurveda a few times in the episode. And so for anyone listening that is unaware of what it is, I thought I would give a little background on it just so you are up to speed. Ayurveda is a natural system of medicine that was originated in India more than 3,000 years ago. It is the ancient Indian medical system. It is based on ancient writings that rely on a natural and holistic approach to physical and mental health. Ayurvedic medicine is one of the world's oldest medical systems, and it remains one of India's traditional healthcare systems. It's based on the idea that disease is due to an imbalance or stress in a person's consciousness. And Ayurveda encourages certain lifestyle interventions, natural therapies to regain a balance between the mind, the body, mind, spirit, and the environment. So a lot of modern functional and integrative practitioners use Ayurveda in conjunction with modern therapies as an overall integrative approach to modern health. And with that, let's get to the episode. Stephen, thank you so much for coming on today. I am so excited to chat. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. Yeah. So I want to dive in first to um, functional medicine and integrative health. I want to talk about this. I think this is so important for people to understand and why, at least in my opinion, why I feel like we really need to approach health in this way. Can you explain a little bit about it? Yeah. So a lot of times, you know, there's so many brilliant nutritionists and doctors and practitioners in general. And, you know, I know that you've met so many great people. Uh, they don't have to be a dietitian. They don't have to be a doctor or whatever it might be. And they just have so much knowledge. And so what we try to do, you know, in life is we always try to share what we believe works for the greatest amount of people, or at least what we've seen work for ourselves. So, the difference is, though, that a lot of these recommendations that people make is they do work, but what they don't tell you is they don't work for about 25 to 30% of the population. So most of them are phenomenal advice that the majority of people will benefit from. And then about a third of the population will actually become worse. 
And so what functional mm-hmm. medicine allows you to do, if you use it wisely, is that you can actually look into someone's body to then discover what the proper plan is for them based on where they're at right now, but also then in the future, how things may change. So for example, I used to not be able to fast when I was younger and I was sick and I had a lot of dis-ease in my body. And then my body got healthier. It became more flexible in a way. And then I was able to fast. So it's like, yeah, fasting is good, but, but for whom, right? And so those, that's essentially what functional medicine allows you to do. Yeah. And I mean, the reason why I, I tell people this a lot on my Instagram, um, I always, I encourage people to seek out functional medicine doctors and integrative health doctors because um, they they look at the deeper root cause, right? Like, and they're, they're working with preventative measures instead of we're like making up for um, the disease or whatever that we find. So, and I found that a lot of times it takes someone getting sick and totally just fed up with the traditional system that has no answers for them that leads them to this path of really finding out and getting to the root cause of what is going on instead of just throwing a Band-Aid on it and throwing a medication at something. Without a doubt. I mean, you eventually get, as they say, so sick and tired of being sick and tired that you're just saying, Everything that I've been doing seems to work for a little while and then it doesn't. And there's a reason for that because as you begin to peel back the onion, you discover that there's typically multiple areas that need to be worked on. But we're all, myself included, we were looking for the silver bullet in order to get well. And that's why, so I always, you know, I answer a lot of people's questions online and through my podcast and all those things. And people are saying, well, I went to a functional medicine doctor and they found out I had an imbalance in estrogen and they put me on DIM. And I say, is that it? Okay, great. So you got some, uh, you got one nutrient that's supposed to now fix all of that. Well, how did you become estrogen dominant? Was it thyroid issues? Was it insulin issues? Was it vitamin D? Was it uh, adrenal issues with the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis? So it's like, it's, it's a disservice. So what we're really looking to do is we're saying, if you can continue to ask why, that's what I tell people. It's like, okay, I have bloating. Okay, well, why do you have bloating? Well, I don't do well digesting vegetables. Okay, well, why don't you do well digesting vegetables? You can't just get rid of vegetables in your diet. So why don't you do well digesting them? Like, okay, well, I don't know. Oh, and so then we run a lab test, an at-home lab test. We find you have candida overgrowth, but you also have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Oh, and you have H. pylori. Now you produce too little stomach acid. You have slow peristaltic movement in general. Your stomach, now your intestines actually cause the vegetables to stay there longer. They begin to ferment and they feed the yeast and they feed the bacterial overgrowth. And that's why you have bloating. Okay, well, we can get rid of the candida overgrowth, the H. pylori and the bacterial overgrowth. And now guess what? There's no more bloating. So it's, it's just about asking why until you can't ask why anymore. Well, and it's interesting. You brought up a great point because with traditional medicine, if someone was to go into their doctor and say, oh, you know, I have bloating, I have heartburn, they're most of the time just going to throw them heartburn medicine. And what you just mentioned um, with like an integrative or functional medicine doctor, they're going to actually go in and do all these tests. They're going to do a stool test. And then they're going to find, you know, the candida or whatever it is um, that people, that's the underlying root cause of it. And this is why I love so much this approach because, um, it's not a one size fits all. It's not like a, oh, okay, well, the, the literature says that you just need this heartburn medication. It's actually diving in and it's individualized because now we get to see what's happening individually in this person's body and what's really going on. Um, and I love that you brought this up because this was actually something I was going to, this was my next question for you. 
So people that are experiencing health issues. So for example, I get questions constantly all the time about food sensitivities and bloating. I feel like those are the questions I get asked the most. Where would you tell people if they're experiencing this to start looking? Yeah. So I mean, we we are a general-based practice. So ours is virtual. We work with people all over the world. And what I found is that people get sick and imbalanced the same way all over the world. And it's not, it's not unique just to the US. You know, it's like Australia and Europe and wherever. It's like everybody gets, they get ill and they, they become imbalanced. And so we need to start to look at, uh, and again, so I would say the majority of our practice is about like 70%, 75% women, 25% men or so, experiencing hormone issues and experiencing low mood, fatigue, and digestive issues. Like that's uh, so many of the world. Like that has to be at least two thirds of the world. I have less energy, lower mood, don't feel like I have the same ambition drive I used to, and I get gas and bloating and it doesn't feel very good. It's like, okay, yeah. And we'll throw poor sleep into that as well. So it's like, well, well, what do we do? Well, we really have to look at the two main drivers. There's so many different drivers of dis-ease in the body, but really what we're looking at is poor adaption to stress, and because of that, so again, like if you want to say, well, why do I have SIBO? Why do I have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth? Well, it's a good, good possibility that stress, not even just antibiotics, caused your SIBO. Like that's a very, a very good possibility. So if we say, okay, well, why do you have bloating? Well, you have, you have bacterial overgrowth. Okay, well, why do you have bacterial overgrowth? Oh, well, you're chronically stressed. And when you're chronically stressed, Food doesn't digest properly. You don't make the hydrochloric acid that you should, or maybe you overproduce. It's possible. Um, you, the food is allowed to stay there and ferment longer. There's not the same peristaltic movement. Or you have ileocecal valve dysfunction, which means the small intestine, like the food that's being digested, broken down, eventually has to go into large intestine. And none of the bacteria from the large intestine is supposed to seep back into the small intestine because that's how you get, it's one way you can get SIBO. So when you look at it and say, oh, my own stress may have caused my bacterial overgrowth. And so, you know, for me, it's, again, it's always looking at why. So there's two main things that you need. And I really, I really recommend lab testing, of course. There's just no doubt about that, is to run, if you believe you have bacteria uh, overgrowth or parasites or H. pylori, like any type of bloating or gas or dysfunction, bacteria and parasites stool test, no doubt about it. Like that's, that's a great place. You can also run the, um, People call it the oat lab. We call it the candida metabolic and vitamins lab because there's so much more than just kind of, nobody has any idea what organic acids test means. Like it sounds actually dangerous. So, so we don't typically call it that, but that's what it is. Um, but it's a great one. Again, you can run these through a practitioner, your local integrative health practitioner. Um, we, we actually train a lot of dietitians. We have a lot of registered dietitians learning to do this work because they realized that their schooling let them down. Meaning like it was a great starting point but you can't go, you, you don't want to give people the food pyramid. Like you don't want to, that's not the ideal thing. And so they're learning to do this. Like it's just, this is the next level. This I believe is like the future of uh, health, real healthcare. And, and I do recommend working with someone because it's, how do you learn this all on your own within a 12 week period? It's just, it's very challenging. So it's nice to be able to work someone and talk things through and and that is what I recommend. Um, and you don't have to do it forever. It's kind of like you could connect with a personal trainer and have them set you up the program and then check in every six weeks if you want. And then they give you a new program and, and that's okay too. So I think there's a lot of different ways. And I think that um, the nice thing about, there's not a whole lot positive about the pandemic, but the nice thing is that a lot of things have moved virtual and we can have a conversation anywhere in the world right now. And you can obviously do that with a practitioner as well. So in the beginning of this, you mentioned that it, this doesn't work for everyone. What did you mean by that? And why does it not work for everyone? 
if I said that, I am mistaken because this is the only thing oh, okay. that works for everyone. Meaning that okay. you can try a million different diet plans and people are like, oh, I got benefit from this. I didn't get benefit from this. Why? Why? But when you run at-home lab testing, you know exactly about you, nobody else. So my yeah. lab, I run what's called a big five every single year. And I do it. I'm already well, but I do it now so I don't get sick again because I was sick for a decade. So I don't want to go back. I'm, I'm unwilling to go back. I will skip the late nights out with friends now and all the alcoholic drinks and all things because for me, it's just not worth it. I've made that decision in my life. Will I drink alcohol every once in a while? Yes. Am I going to drink it three, four times a week? No. And am I going to eat a lot of dairy? The answer is no. It certainly just does not work with my body. So as much as I love cheese and all sorts of different types of desserts, I'm not going to do it, right? They make coconut ice cream. Yeah. If I want ice cream, I can have coconut ice cream. I'll be okay with that. So that's, that's how, but again, I do these things now to stay well, because I can see if things are starting to move in the wrong direction. And yes, you can do it with blood work, but nowhere near the degree. I mean, I saw doctors for yeah. two years and the best specialists in the world, all they were looking at was blood work. They had no idea I had gut issues. They had no idea I had adrenal issues until we ran some of these more functional medicine-based labs that can then give you more of the intricacies as to what's going on with your gut, your nervous system, your hormones, your omega-3s, your food sensitivities, heavy metals. I mean, when's the last time a doctor tested you for heavy metals? It's like never, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's so important. Um, and you also, you brought up such a great point that I, again, I think is so important with integrative health is that you can look, you can start looking at the numbers and doing these tests and see um, if you're headed in a certain direction for a specific disease. You know, I mean, like perfect example, Addison's disease is one of them. And this is so frustrating about conventional medicine is that you're not diagnosed with it until you have full-blown Addison's disease and then there's no turning back from it. But if you have an integrative or functional medicine doctor, they're able to look at those numbers and say, huh, we're headed in this direction that doesn't look great. So why don't we do some measures, figure out what's going on and implement measures that can stop that? Um, and so would you say that you can actually reverse disease? It's, I don't know. Did you know that I had Addison's disease? I actually didn't know uh, that. Yes. No, I just use that as an example I, and that's a, a lot. Because, because that's more of an obscure, like rare example is, but it, it does happen. Um, you have Cushing's where you produce too much yeah. cortisol and you have Addison's where you produce no cortisol and people are like, well, good. I don't want to produce cortisol, but you really do. Because if you don't yeah. want to walk around, like you feel like you have the flu every single day where you, that, I mean, that's what Addison's, if anybody wants to know what Addison's disease feels like, think about when you were at your worst uh, with like a, I don't want to say the virus, the virus that's going on now, or the flu, that's what it feels like every single day of your life. Your body's inflamed, oh your God. joints hurt, your legs feel like they weigh a ton each, and you never wake up. You're a zombie because you don't produce mm. cortisol and your cortisol is supposed to peak between six and eight in the morning. If it doesn't, you don't necessarily start producing melatonin because you don't know what's up and what's down. Your nervous system is just so dysfunctional that you don't produce cortisol at the appropriate times, if at all. So I didn't produce cortisol. So I did an H, uh, why am I forgetting the name right now? A uh, ACTH stim test. And um, you basically sit in a doctor's office and you have your blood taken every hour for three hours. And they give you an injection wow. and they, you have a, a adrenal corticotropin hormone to see if you actually produce cortisol. And, and I didn't, and this is, they didn't realize this for two and a half years into my disease. And I ended up with type two wow. diabetes because you can't regulate blood sugar if you can't regulate your adrenals. I had rheumatoid arthritis from all the inflammation and, and all the gut issues that they didn't find out again for four years. 
And um, I had myalgic encephalomyelitis. I mean, all sorts of issues. And so you're like, well, how do you even go about fixing all of these things that are wrong? Because I spent two years going to the most brilliant medical doctors in the world. And don't get me wrong. I give conventional medicine a hard time, but it's the best in the world for emergency medicine and acute-based care. So, you know, if yes. someone ever came to me and they had blood pressure of 200 over 120, I'd say, you need blood pressure medications. I can't give you that recommendation. I'm a doctor of naturopathy. I'm not a medical doctor. But get stabilized so you don't die, have a stroke, and then we'll help get you well. Like, that, that's definitely possible. So um, it took me three years to even find out about functional medicine because I was sick in the late 90s. I didn't have internet. Mm-hmm. Some people probably did, but I didn't. And... Um, <laughs> read a lot of books, found out there was this whole thing called natural health. I got into nutrition, started there. And lo and behold, uh, met a lot of great practitioners, a lot of great doctors, met my mentor when I was 27. Uh, within six months, I was completely better. So it can happen. Wow. I mean, I don't, I'm, you know, this has been 20, 25 years. So I'm healthier now than I ever have been. I feel like I get healthier every year and I'm disease-free. So, you know, um, or is it your genetics? Well, sure. Like all of this is locked in my genetics, rheumatoid arthritis, the diabetes that runs in my family. However, I don't have type two diabetes anymore. I don't have rheumatoid arthritis. I don't have Addison's. I don't have my encephalomyelitis. I don't have any of these things, but yet they're in my genetics. So what knowing your genetics allows you to do is say, okay, I'm susceptible to this, but it, you can also shed it off based on cleaning up your gut, your nervous system, your food sensitivities. I mean, I was sensitive to everything you could name. So I was like, okay, how do you go about this? So it was a long journey. Uh, it certainly was, but I wouldn't have it any other way because a hard journey teaches you a lot. And if yeah. you make it through, then you are a new person. And I'm happier now with the person I am now than I was before when I was a teenager. I mean, I I can fully relate. I had so many hormonal issues when I was um, in my 20s that I really, I, I really struggled. And it wasn't until I was able to find an integrative doctor that was able to do all the tests and lab work and stuff to say like, oh, you have really low progesterone. No wonder, you know, and I was also struggling with adrenal fatigue. And there were so many things going on that, again, like we've said, that conventional medicine just completely missed. So I'm so grateful for this preventative approach and also the diving into like what's actually really going on. Um, so how did you get, so obviously you found conventional or I'm sorry, you found integrative medicine. What, what were kind of the steps that helped you on your path to get better? Like what were things that you did that were able to improve your health? So I ran a lot of these same labs that we're talking about right now. I ran the adrenal hormone based lab. I ran it with thyroid. I ran it with the food sensitivity test and all of those were helpful, but we have to think back. This is, this is now uh, let's think the the late ninety early two thousands late nineties early two thousands, and functional medicine still wasn't really a thing yet. It was definitely around, but not not that big. But I still ran the same exact labs that I offer today. I mean, that's the amazing thing. It's like so strange because I yeah. never thought I'd be doing what I'm doing now. But it was a gradual progression, and it's like how could you not? Like after a while, learning all this is like how could I not now teach this? Um, but. Anyway, so the problem was back then, if you had adrenal issues, you were given licorice root and DHEA and nothing wrong with that. However, that's not really fixing the, uh, that's more green medicine, right? So licorice root is supposed to help you maybe produce a little bit more cortisol, but really extend the life of the cortisol you're already producing. And DHEA, well, you know, okay, that could be a good recommendation because then it's allowing you to really satisfy more of the sex hormones, the testosterone, the estrogen, maybe help a little bit with balance, definitely can help with the immune system and inflammation. Okay. So I get it, but 
it didn't teach me anything about lifestyle. So I have something called the de-stress protocol. It's diet, exercise, stress reduction, toxin removal, rest, emotional balance, supplements, and success mindset. And Ooh, I love that. You don't fix everything. Now, supplements are a must for most people, at least for the first 12 to 16 weeks, to help rebuild their body or give the body a heroic push in one direction. But it's not the only thing. So no one really taught me about how to control blood sugar to help with my adrenals, how to deal with stress to help my adrenals. I was a very stressed teenager. I was a pitta-based mindset. I was into sports and trying to do well in school and trying to just be a perfectionist. And uh, that didn't work out very well. And so I crashed. But the other thing was, from the ages of 14 years old to 17 years old, I was put on twice a day amoxicillin for skin. So nobody told me that from early childhood, four or five times a year, taking azithromycin, we had Z-packs in my house, um, that I would have completely destroyed my gut flora, causing massive intestinal permeability. So every time I ate, even when I was eating healthier food in my new nutrition plan, I was spilling proteins into my bloodstream, which was then causing Mm -hmm. an inflammatory reaction by my immune cells, which then flared up things like rheumatoid arthritis. And so- it was a gradual process. I eventually, to make a long story a little bit shorter, I met my mentor. She combined Ayurvedic medicine with naturopathic medicine and genetics. So she said, listen, genetics mm-hmm. matter. You obviously have methylation issues. You have detox pathway issues. Uh, your whole family, all your grandparents and your parents have rheumatoid arthritis. Here's how we get out of this. We teach you about your lifestyle through Ayurveda. We use functional medicine lab testing to start to run exactly what's wrong with you. We understand your genetics because of all the methylation pathways. And I was like, this is, I've read a lot, but I've never had it put to me like this. And so I just dove in head first after that. And, and, um, and then that's, as that was basically the end of the first chapter, which was getting well, I finally got well. And then the next is optimization. So even once you're well, now it's like, okay, how far can we take this? Now that's where I feel at now. Like even maybe just even like the last six, seven years is like now it's optimizing to that next level. It's like, okay, how good can we get this? And and it can be pretty good. It really can. You know, on this show every week, I ask people what their health non-negotiables are, which means what do you do every single day, no matter how busy you are? to further your health. And for me, one of my non-negotiables is taking my vitamins every single day. No matter what, no matter how how busy I am, I always make sure I take my vitamins. You know, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, how much I love Paragon vitamins. They are bio-individualized to you and your body and your health specifically, which is what I love the most about them. So there's no guesswork here. You send in a little clip of your hair to their lab. They send back a full detailed report They tell you exactly what's going on in your body, if you have any vitamin and mineral deficiencies, what your metabolic type is. And then from there, they give you a whole vitamin protocol that is designed specifically with your body and your health in mind. They gave me a code to share with you, my podcast family. It is realfood15. Use that at paragonvitamins.com for 15% off their hair assessment analysis. So you touched on something that I'm not sure a lot of people are aware of, um, something called epigenetics. Are we just destined to be sick or have like a certain disease just because of our genes? Or do we actually have control over that? So I I have broken this down into three parts. So we have our genetics, which is our code. Then we have, I call it the rain barrel effect. So that's basically what I'm just trying to share with people is we don't get sick overnight. We don't get better overnight. So a lot of people say, oh, I'm really sensitive to EMFs. Well, you're sensitive to EMFs because 
you probably have a lot of heavy metals, you have inflammation, you've got, you've filled up this rain barrel. Like I had debilitating allergies for the entire month of April. We're recording this in April right now. I can open my eyes. My eyes aren't red. I don't have all these sensitivities. I had massive mastocytosis and allergy-based issues. Well, those went away, not overnight, but they went away once I got rid of the candida, the H. pylori, and the SIBO, and I sealed up my gut wall. Now there was less reactivity in my body. So my massive TH2 immune dominance, which I'm prone to through my genetics, got squelched. Why? Because I emptied that rain barrel. I began to handle stress in a better way. I began to fix my gut issues. I removed the heavy metals like I had large amounts of mercury because I was trying to do, even though the, my internally my body was decimated, I still went to the gym to try to build up externally, probably to like show off to the world, like, listen, I'm not this sick. I'm not that bad. And it made me feel better at least when I was eating rice and a can of tuna every single night. Not a great idea for mercury. And so basically we have our genetics, we fill up the rain barrel, and then we have a triggering event. And the event might be food poisoning. It might be a virus. It might be um, high levels of stress, a breakup, like anything like that. And then that tips you over the edge. And that's when obviously our genes, we look at it as like, oh, well, this is our destiny. Well, I would say it's in your code. However, just like you said, through epigenetics, we have the ability to turn that on and off. And so I got rheumatoid arthritis at 17, 18, but I don't have it now 20 plus years later. So it's like, well, is it still there? Of course it's there. It's in my code, but through epigenetics, we can turn it off and turn it off, turn it on and turn it off. And I'll say one more thing is that this whole concept of disease is really, um, turns people into victims. And I can say this because I was a victim for a good decade and even longer than that. I was upset. I was really upset. Like, why me? Why this happened to me? Well, the only way that I got better was to disassociate from my disease because very few people ever recover from Addison's disease or autoimmune issues. So the only way I was going to get better is if I wasn't Addison's disease, if I wasn't rheumatoid arthritis. So too many people say, I'm an IBS sufferer. I'm a Lyme sufferer. And I get it. They're debilitating. They're terrible. But as long as you associate with that disease, which by the way, is just a name given to a collection of symptoms, then you're always going to have it. But if you can begin to disassociate and go back to a time when you were healthy or view you as the future you have healthy, you're going to get better a whole lot faster. And that's why mindset is a big part of getting well. Yeah, that's such a great point. Um, yeah, and no, I just, I find the conversation of epigenetics so, um, it's super empowering to me because even though you may have something like diabetes that runs in your family, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are also going to have diabetes because people do not realize we have a lot more control over this than, than we even want to admit. Like you said, there's um, mindset change. There's also lifestyle changes. Um, you know, where you live affects you, whether you're being, um, you know, like your environment, your environment, in your house, pollution, uh, your diet, maybe stuff that's in your water. And so we have a lot of control over this. And um, to me, that's super, super empowering because then it means that I can actually do something about it. And like you said, I'm not like a victim to just my genes and what's happening to me, essentially. Just know, like, no matter how sick you are, if you're listening to this, there's no doubt about it. You can get well. And yeah. the only problem is we've been led to believe that it has to happen within seven days, you know, or 14 days. And I've seen uh, most change happen within, just to let people know, about 12 to 16 weeks. And that does fall in a line with when your red blood cells turn over. 
And so you get new cell receptors in the end of those. So that can dramatically change blood sugar for the next time around. Uh, you get new nutrients inside your cells. You have new lipid membranes for absorption. So 12 to 16 weeks. And if you really work at it, three to four months to overcome these things is not that much of a trade. And then even the worst of the worst, six months to a year maximum. Like, I mean, I was, I was pretty bad. There's always someone worse, right? That's perspective, but I was pretty bad. And it took me about um, six, seven months. And so, and again, you don't get better just at the seventh month, I was getting better like 10, 15% a month. I would relapse a little bit and get a little bit better because we learn along the way. It's not, it's a little bit of a zigzag. It's not a straight line. And even when you have the best program, it needs to be tweaked a little bit for you. And so like, just because, yeah. just because I say, Hey, these are the foods that should be fine for you. They're not sensitivities, pretty easy to digest. You might try them. You say, Oh, I can't eat that food. It gives me really bad indigestion or whatever it might be. And I say, okay, we just cross it off the list. No big deal. We'll try it again in six yeah. weeks or 12 weeks. Such a great point too, because I don't think we give our bodies enough credit. Our bodies want to be healthy. And if we give them the right tools, diet, exercise, a healthy lifestyle, it's going to promote a healthy body. It's going to promote a healthy life. Um, and I want to go back to this a little bit. So you can actually reverse these diseases as well, right? Like if someone is suffering with diabetes, conventional medicine tells them like, well, you're, this is just your life now. You're going to be on medication for the rest of your life and you're going to be struggling with insulin. But that's not true. It not only not true, but it's also the wrong way to look at it. Um, people, yeah. people say, so is your rheumatoid arthritis in remission? And I say, well, it's one way to look at it. It's never coming back. So is it in remission or is it gone? Because you can't find it on blood work right? You can't find, I have normal cortisol levels now. You can't find my Addison's on blood work. You can from like 1988 or or I should say 1999 or something like that. Um, So, so what happened? Like, where is it? Can you reverse it? Uh, Well, I mean, it depends on how we look at it. I I don't believe in the disease model in the first place. A lot of these symptoms we feel. So for example, you have, let's say rheumatoid arthritis or Hashimoto's. Okay. Well, your joints are under attack. So my thumb joints would get inflamed from rheumatoid arthritis. So that's very common with people with RA. Um, I was just younger when I got it. Usually it's in like your late thirties or forties, but with Hashimoto's it's inflammation of the thyroid. It's the same thing with MS. It's, it's inflammation of the myelin sheath. So it's like, well, what are we really talking about? Well, there's your genetic predisposition. I'll never get Hashimoto's. It's not possible. My genetic code does not allow for Hashimoto's, but it certainly allows for rheumatoid arthritis where someone else might, who has Hashimoto's might not get RA. So it's like, well, you know, you pick your poison, I guess. Right. But the thing is those inflammation of the thyroid and inflammation of my thumb joints, they are symptoms. So what am I really doing? Well, I got rid of the symptoms that we call rheumatoid arthritis because I no longer had proteins floating around in my bloodstream or bacteria or mold that set off my immune system to to create these CD8 cells that caused apoptosis program cell death in the tissue of my joints here. So it's like, well, so did I get rid of the RA? Yeah, the RA, the RA was a byproduct of my intestinal permeability because 90% of all autoimmune issues stem from the gut. And so what I would say is don't even think about the disease. It's a collection of symptoms. Control what you can control. You don't control rheumatoid arthritis. I don't control Addison's disease, but I can certainly control my my response to stress. And so that's what I did. Yeah, I love that. It's so empowering too. So can you explain some of the underlying reasons why people get sick and become overweight? And I want to I say this. I know weight is a really sensitive topic for many people and 
there's this movement right now that's saying it's not about the weight. And I understand what people are getting at because um, health doesn't look like one size. But can you explain the science behind why like too much weight and body fat um, can lead to health issues? Yeah. And I think we have to just, we have to have just civil conversations about this because there's no place for bullying and there's no place for body shaming. Like that's, so, you know, that's one of the worst things that you can do, especially to children and teenagers. Right. So I have two young daughters, they're six and eight years old. And I certainly, I can't prevent it, but I certainly hope that they don't have to deal with any bullying or anything like that. Um, And we teach them to be respectful of others because they just look around at their cousins and they look around at their friends and look, and they have different shapes and sizes. Some are taller, some are shorter, some are bigger. I mean, it's just like, that's just the way that it works. And, and Ayurveda teaches us this. So Ayurveda, there's the vata or the ectomorph, smaller joints by genetics, the pitta, broader shoulders, able to put on a little bit more muscle. Then we've got the kapha, which is more of um, the more robust body type. We'll put larger joints. They're going to have a little bit more body mass. Their calves are naturally larger without doing calf raises at the gym. It's just that's their body structure. So the goal, though, is to create the perfect body for you that you were given in this world. And that's it. Mm -hmm. But there is something to being overweight. And we can't accept being overweight because it's an actual health issue. So I have the fortune of... Now it's, it's been, we've seen well over a quarter of a million people and the leading causes of mortality and death are heart disease, high blood pressure and stroke, which go together, type two diabetes and cancer. All of those go up exponentially with two things that we know of smoking and being overweight. So don't smoke, smoke and don't be overweight. Now, 10, 20 pounds overweight. That's a different story. We're not talking about that. Yeah. We're talking about a BMI exactly. above 25. And that matters for most people. I, again, I was in the natural bodybuilding world back in the day, and, and I get it. And I would even make the argument that if your BMI is above 25, even as a bodybuilder, it's probably not healthy. You know, you might look healthy per se, but not necessarily healthy. So the goal is just like, hey, you can be a 24.9 BMI as a kapha body type, and that's perfect for you. And the vata might be a 19.9, and that, that's okay. So I just, I caution people, if you're more than 30 pounds away from your ideal weight, your healthy weight for you, then I would really work on that first because you'll, the, the weight, by losing weight, you'll have to change things in your life to get your body healthier. And that will then allow you to lose yeah. the weight. So we always look at it from a standpoint of health. Yeah. I love that. And when you start striving for healthier, just for a healthier body and start making healthier choices, the beauty of it is that oftentimes the weight falls off naturally mm-hmm. because you're doing things that are supporting your body and supporting the health of your body. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love you, that. And then, well, the last thing that you want to do is overexercise or undereat, which is the majority of what people are trying yes. to do to, to lose weight. So those are the two worst things that you can do in the long run. In the short term, sure, they're the best things that you can do but that destroys your metabolism in the long term. So if you're looking at just lose weight uh, for the next 21 days, fine. Uh, but certainly that's going to come and uh, that's going to bite you after about four to six weeks, especially for women, because their hormones are just much more sensitive uh, to starvation, essentially, overwork and under food, under calories. Yeah. So can you explain some of the underlying reasons why um, people get sick and become overweight? Like, what are some things that people can start looking at if they are listening right now and they're struggling with this? What's, um, what's kind of the path you would send them on? So it always goes back to understanding you and your unique you. So just like we talked about our susceptibility to certain diseases, there's a susceptibility to weight gain. 
there's just no doubt about that. And some people are going to be more yeah. susceptible based on their genotype than others, or what Ayurveda calls the dosha. And but that's okay. It just means that yeah. for you, you're going to be more prone to that. Just like again, my body is not the robust body that I sometimes would love it to be in terms of doing all these different sports and getting. I wish I'd only had to sleep six hours a night, but my body needs a good seven and a half to eight hours a night. And that's okay because my nervous system needs a little bit more rest. Now, I can fight that all I want, but the truth is that's what I need, right? I can try to make up excuses. I can try to take more uh, you know, neurotransmitter precursors, but that's, it's just not healthy. It's not working with my body. So you have to work with your body. And then also, uh, a lot of people that are more prone towards weight gain have underlying what is called functional hypothyroidism. So their thyroid... If they run their TSH, let's say it's a three. Now, in conventional medicine, they don't have any issues until it raises above a five. But the problem is that's not healthy. That's not optimal. They also have suboptimal vitamin D, and they have suboptimal uh, blood sugar regulation. And so for them, their fasting glucose when they wake up might be a 100 might be a 97, when really we want it in the 70s or 80s. And that means you're tapping into more blood sugar naturally uh, between meals and overnight. And these are easy things to test with a $20 glucometer when you wake up in the morning. They can kind of see moving towards type 2 diabetes. And again, like, but no medical doctor would ever tell you that. And then you say, okay, well, why do I have these things? Well, sometimes it's actually a dysregulation in your gut. So it goes back to the gut again. There is uh, poor absorption of nutrients, which causes you to have more cravings or you have more anxiety because you're not producing enough serotonin, which starts in the gut, which causes you to want to eat more carbs. And I don't think carbs are the enemy, but overeating carbs for someone that's sensitive to them is, is an issue. And then, of course, there's um, the nervous system issue. And, and if you're overly stressed, even if you don't eat, your body's going to produce more glucocorticoids, which is cortisol. And it's going to break down more glycogen in your own body. and It's going to create more blood sugar. And it's not going to allow you to tap into body fat. So you've got the bacteria in your gut, Bacterioides and firmicutes. We don't have to get too deep into that. Are they balanced or not? I don't know. You can you can test. And then you've got your own stress. And that's why, again, there's so many things it could be. But I'd like to keep going back to foundational approaches. And if you can control the nervous system and you can control your digestion and gut, you're 80% of the way there. There could definitely be heavy metals and infections and mold and lime. And so there's no doubt about it. But it's almost impossible to fix those other things if you don't fix the the neurological issues and, and the gut issues. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I know for a lot of women, it can be a hormonal imbalance. I find that a lot yes. of women really struggle with their weight when they're, you know, hormonally imbalanced. Um, so, and, and this comes back to, I've had a lot of conversations lately with different people, like Mark Sisson was on recently, and we were talking about metabolic flexibility, which is something you kind of touched on um, which is basically when you get your blood sugar to stay relatively stable throughout the whole day. How does someone get to that place of metabolic flexibility? You had mentioned earlier that you really struggled. You There was no way you would be able to get through fasting because your body was really in a state of um, dis-ease, as you said. How do you get back to that place where you do have that flexibility? It's, I mean, that's that's the question. And so what we look at is what is causing that inability to get there. And we correct that for the individual. So I will say, yeah. and I forgot to mention that, and that's one of the most important, um, is that many women in our practice with, uh, they believe it's weight gain and it is the scale moves, but it's really 
this toxic water weight and their body's puffy and mm. swollen rather than a lot of extra adipose tissue. Because we have to remember our body's about two thirds water and adipose tissue and, and everything can just swell. And so what happens is when you're exposed to a lot of chemicals and pesticides and DHT and paraben and triclosan and all these hand sanitizers, uh, your body <laughs> yeah. needs to put them somewhere. And it's easiest place if it can't detox them through the liver fast enough, can't stay in the bloodstream, so it'll put them in the adipose tissue. So the interesting thing mm-hmm. is, then when we burn body fat, all of these things get dumped back into our bloodstream. And now our liver has to keep up again. So we can talk about liver detoxification or you know maybe another time. But back to the estrogen dominance. So nine out of 10 women that we see with estrogen dominance. So basically that's the water retention a week or so before your cycle, or maybe even you miss cycle, uh, or you have an irregular cycle. Sometimes you get acne, sometimes you get oily skin, sometimes you get thinning hair uh, on the top of the crown of the head, um, low mood, irritability, some digestive issues and bloating, and all again, about five days to seven days or so before day one of menstruation. So when you look at this and we run labs, we run labs around days 19, 20, or 21 of a female cycle or when they have the most symptoms, and we find is actually they have normal estrogen levels. And that was the strangest thing until I, until I started testing because they have perfectly normal estrogen. What happens is their progesterone levels are so low. So now they get all of the symptoms of high estrogen, even though you, only, you have normal estrogen. That's why if you run your labs with your typical PCP, everything looks normal. But the problem is during your luteal phase of your cycle, progesterone remains pretty low. And then it starts to jump around day 17. And then days 19 through 21 or so, it starts to peak. That's why you test during those days because your progesterone, um, there's something called an estrogen to progesterone ratio. And if your progesterone is not high enough, you feel like you have high estrogen. So you get all of the symptoms that I just mentioned, which includes water weight gain. So if you gain three to five pounds a week before your menstruation, most likely it's estrogen dominance, but it doesn't mean that it's high estrogen. So what do you do? It's like, well, you know, you, you, you can't lose that weight through diet and exercise. You actually have to lose it through hormonal balancing. And that has to do with blood sugar rebalancing and adrenal rebalancing, because every time you call for more cortisol because of stress, you're going to deplete your progesterone levels. Yeah. And is there a connection with that with the liver detoxification? Because I will say when I was really struggling with hormonal imbalance, I that was exactly what I struggled with. I had really, really low progesterone. And what ended up ultimately helping me the most is I started um, taking supplements and um, eating more foods that were supporting the detoxification pathways of my liver. And that started flushing everything out. And I was able to balance my hormones. And I'm sure there were so many other things going on. Um, but is there a connection with that? hundred percent. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. And so that's why, I mean, one of the best things that really anyone can do in their path, let's say that you're doing a mold protocol, a heavy metal protocol, parasite protocol, digestive protocol, whatever it might be. You really want to start with a 21 day functional medicine detox. If you've never done one before, because it's going to teach you about intermittent fasting. It's going to teach you about liver detoxification of essentially these are the nutrients that you need for phase one. And, and most people, are, if they're taking a good activated multi with good methylated B vitamins and they're taking their zinc and their selenium and all these great things, they're going to they're gonna get those. But most people don't get the phase two nutrients. And so they get a block, which means that they're not able to break down. Well, they're able to break down the fat-soluble toxin, but it becomes this what's called an intermediary metabolite that I'm sure you know about, maybe you've talked about on the show, but it creates massive oxidation now in the body. And whenever there's oxidation, there's inflammation. When there's inflammation, well, 
Now you open up your genetics again. So what we really need are all of those um, sulfur-based amino acids, and you can take them through nutrition product, through functional medicine detox as taurine, N-acetylcysteine, uh, glycine, um, glutathione. You can do a reduced version of that. They're all great. So, But you can also get them on a daily basis because you're not going to function medicine detox every single day of your life. You're going to get them through cruciferous vegetables. And so as you start to, start to up those with broccoli and cauliflower and Brussels sprouts, and you might say, well, when I eat those, I get all this cramping and bloating. Well, then that probably shows you, again, weak digestion, some type of overgrowth. The vegetables aren't the problem. The digestive system is the issue. Let's correct this. That's why sometimes there's you have to take one step at a time, knowing that you'll eventually get there, but without a doubt. And, and so just to kind of answer your question, and I'm very long-winded, um, that you're not able to get rid of what's called the um, estrogen metabolites from your body, mm-hmm. which is basically the used up estrogen hormone that although not as potent, still can build up in your body. So now you have greater amounts of estrogen esters or estrogen metabolites that build up creating more estrogen dominance. What is this functional medicine detox that you're talking about? So I started this about 2010 in my practice, and I only did it for like the worst of the worst because 10, 11 years ago, that's what it was indicated for. So no matter what, so I mean, I studied uh, naturopathy, like that, that was my degree. And other people studied to become a nurse practitioner, other people studied to become a medical doctor or a chiropractor or an acupuncturist or a registered dietitian. But you can then do post-doctoral uh, work in functional medicine. And so back then, when I was there, 2008, 2009, 2010 or so, uh, with IFM, I was studying these things. And I'm like, oh, this looks really interesting. And it was like, you were using like 10, 12 products with people. But when you have really bad autoimmune issues and all sorts of issues, a lot of people are willing to do whatever it takes. And I saw dramatic results, meaning like massive reductions. We have to say healthy levels of inflammation and all those good stuff. But let's just say these people got phenomenally better in 21 days. And it was like unlike anything I'd ever seen. And I'd, I'd done a lot. And so I said, okay. The fringe benefit though is people were losing 10 to 20 pounds in three weeks, which does not seem possible because you're not burning that much wow. body fat. It's just not happening because there's not that much, that much of a caloric deficit. So what was going on? Well, these people are so massively inflamed and holding on to so much toxic water weight that we call it now that they just drop that inflammation. And they were rebalancing hormones and blood sugar and um, their sleep and all these different patterns in such a fast way. So what we did, and a lot of other companies now are doing this as well, my company is Equalife. That's how you get the labs. That's how you do this functional medicine detox. Now it's just three products. There are other great companies like Thorne's a great company. Pure Encapsulation is a great company. So I'm not trying to just promote ours, but functional medicine companies are the answer. They do third-party testing. They put a lot of money into research. Products cost a little bit more, but that's because you have to spend so much more money to create these types of products. And now it's just three products. So you take ours as a functional medicine capsule, which contains the selenium, uh, the glycine, the N-acetylcysteine, the taurine, the glutathione that I was talking about with an Ayurvedic blend that I added for triphala, which helps to keep the bowels moving during a detox and turmeric, which of course we know is a great spice and ginger, which ginger is great for digestion, but it's also good for the kidneys, the liver, and the intestines. Um, and then there's a daily nutritional support shake, which contains then all of the nutrients you need, the methylated B vitamins, et cetera. And I'll tell you, I mean, it's, it doesn't cost more than food. And if it's one place that people can start, it's not going to be your finish line, but it's a phenomenal way to start. I mean, it really is. It's my number one suggestion for people. 
I love that. I love giving people actionable things that they can do to start heading on their path to health because I've I've realized more than anything with all the questions that I get from people, a lot of people are, you know, run down, fatigued, feeling sick, um, dealing with bloating, gut issues, allergies, eczema, and no one really knows where to start, mm-hmm. you know? And so everyone's kind of struggling to figure out like, okay, how do I get on this path? Like I keep hearing that I'll feel better if I change my diet and I do this and I do that. And and there, and you know, as people are gonna learn listening to this episode, there's a lot of different components involved. And it really comes down to finding someone that will work with you and knows what to look for and knows what, what to test for and also can give you recommendations on diet and lifestyle changes. And there's so many different components. And I know it can feel like a little bit overwhelming. Um, but I like to remind people that, you know, this, and you said this earlier, it's not going to happen overnight. It's these little changes that you start making day to day. And then one day you're going to wake up and you're going to, you're going to look back and be like, Oh, wow, I feel so much better. And, um, you know, I, I took all these steps and you'll be able to look back and kind of see the path that, that led you onto this new path of health. This is really what happened with me. Um, I struggled for a long time in my twenties, hormonal imbalance and, gaining weight. And, you know, it's crazy. I look back and, um, I was severely inflamed. I I mean, you can literally see it in my face. Um, I had such horrible heartburn that I had to get a scope down my throat because they thought, they thought that something really crazy was happening. Um, it turns out I just had really crazy gut inflammation and a hormonal imbalance. And, um, you know, once I was finally able to start getting the answers of that and clean up my diet, clean up my lifestyle, I was able to, you know, drop the weight, get rid of the inflammation. I haven't had heartburn in probably eight years. Um, and it it was all just little little things that I had to figure out. And um, yeah, it's kind of like a, it's a guessing game. You really, you have to like approach it in an individual way and start figuring out what exactly is going on in your body specifically. Yeah, and, it's, and it's great that you share your story. And, and I try to share mine as well, because people have to understand is that, um, a lot of what you figure out about yourself and the way that you can help others is is through going through your own trials. And yeah. I'll, I'll tell you though, like I always give my my mentor credit, Dr. Pete, like she pulled it together for me, but I wouldn't have understood her message had I not done all the other, it wasn't like I wasn't trying to get well before that. I was, I was getting well and then I would relapse. Yeah. I was getting well. And so you have to just begin the journey and take the first step because then after that, it reveals to you what the next step will be. But you don't even get to learn the next step until you start the first. So, of course, a whole food diet is is where you want to start before exercise, before anything else. You need to put good nourishment into your body. But at the same time, if you're not absorbing it well, it's, it's, it's tough, right? So you're putting the right foods in, I'm doing the right thing, but I'm still getting bloated. It's like, that's why digestion is a great first place to start. But the reason why I mentioned the functional medicine detox first and, and why you have to start somewhere is because if you don't first open up those liver pathways, you're not going to heal. So your liver is yeah. an organ. I always, I always have this guy on my desk right here. So people watching the video, this is a massive Love organ it. right here. I mean, it's a, your liver is right underneath the right side of your rib cage. It filters all of the blood in your body every six minutes. So think about not changing your car filter or not having a car filter, driving down the highway, the amount of soot and everything that would come into your car. It's the same thing with your bloodstream. I mean, your liver is filtering all of that. And yes, it does that all day long. People say, well, there's no need to do a detox. There is, trust me. You can run any heavy metal detox lab. You can run an environmental detox lab. I'm guaranteeing you, you find something. That means your liver didn't get everything. And so, but it's not the end all be all. It's a great first place to start. It opens up the pathways and then it allows you 
to get more benefit from the hormonal balancing program, the gut rebalancing program, the heavy metal, the mold, the lime, because you've opened up those pathways and your blood is cleaner, legitimately cleaner. And yeah. you, can, you can run those labs to, to, to prove it as well. Well, and I think people don't realize too that our livers can become sluggish over time because we don't think about how much we are getting exposed to on a day-to-day basis. I mean, stuff in your water, plastic in your food, um, if you live in a congested city, pollution in the air, um, pesticides in your in your food. And so there's so many different factors that um, you're being exposed to on a day-to-day basis that your body's then having to cleanse out. I mean, for women, the stuff that we put on our face, our skincare, this all plays a role. And um, it, I don't say this to scare anyone, but just to remind you that, like you said, it, it's really important to support those detoxification pathways because our body can only handle so much of it before it starts to get overloaded and sluggish and, um, and run down. Without a doubt. I mean, the, the statistic right now from, I believe it's the Environmental Working Group, is that the average woman uses 12 different um, skincare, cosmetic, shampoo, conditioner, moisturizer-based products. And she's mm. exposed to 168 different chemicals a day just from that alone. Because one is they don't label everything wow. that's in that product. And second is when you look at the back of a bottle of these products, you can't pronounce half of these words. And so they're not just natural like shea butter or coconut oil or you know whatever it might be. And so it's... I don't need people to be perfect. I always tell them that. Listen, I'm not perfect. Yeah. I don't need everybody to be perfect. Every once in a while, you might use some, you know, saran wrap or whatever it might be. Um, but you, you try to do as best as you can. And that's why, you know, you do the functional medicine detoxes. You try to eat well on a daily basis. You eat your cruciferous vegetables. You try to get some sleep and you do your intermittent fast every day. And these are the things that allow you then not to fill up the rain barrel so it doesn't overflow. It's like you do the things to keep emptying it. And yeah, you might add a little bit every day. I mean, I still have... Um, some, uh, you know, a flex meal once a week, whatever you'd like to call it, because I enjoy certain foods and I want to always enjoy those foods. So I eat them. And I'm not pretending that this is a health food, but it's like, well, I do all these other things. I can fill up my rain barrel a little bit. I'll be okay. And, um, and so yeah. I think that's a better way of like looking at life. It's like, look at the main things that you do, not the things every once in a while. Get a good water filter, get a shower filter, a bath filter. Um, try to eat organic quality food you know, when you can. If you can't buy all organic, then stay away from the dirty dozen. Just don't even buy them. And, yeah. and these are all things that you can do for you, for you and your family. Yeah, that's really important. And um, I love that message too. I, I try to share that as well with people because I don't want I don't want everyone to get overwhelmed and then just not do anything. But the point is that there is a lot of things that you can that you can control and that you can change with l- l- pretty minimal effort, you know. Um, it's just a matter of kind of picking and choosing. And then, you know, like you said, kind of finding those vices. Like, do I drink alcohol? Yes. I love my wine. Do I drink it every night? No. Um, and I do other things. I have other things in place that I know support my body and support my health so that it allows me that flexibility to have some of those vices and they won't completely tip me overboard into disease. Yeah, that's and that's the nice yeah. thing about it is that, you know, you go through the process. And so before when I used to have a cheat meal of gluten, like I like bread and pasta. I love bread and pasta. I grew up in a Portuguese and Italian family. And so there's a bit of comfort to that. There's memories and, and, um, and I don't necessarily want to get rid of those. But um, before, I, I couldn't do those for a long period of time because they actually cause massive inflammation in my body. They cause sinus congestion. They cause joint pain. 
So I had to eliminate them for a certain period of time. But then you do get well. And once you do get well, you learn, well, you, are, you first learn the hard way because you think that you're all better. Everything's, everything's good. So you say, oh, I can have alcohol, a glass every night, wine. I can have some pasta maybe three, four times a week. And then it doesn't hit you right away, right? The rain barrel hasn't overflowed yet. Three weeks down the line, you're like, I can't believe my migraines are back. I can't believe I'm getting skin rashes and rosacea again, or my joints hurt. And you're like, well, it can't be the gluten and the wine or the whatever, because I've been using those now for weeks. No, no, no. That's not how it works. It's not usually the one, you know, uh, serving of it. It's a build up over time. So then you're like, okay, let me go back. Let me eliminate first. Let me get healthy. And then you're like, okay, what can I do? And so I've realized for my body, I can do it twice a week and there's no issue at all. So I can have two uh, flex meals a week, not back to back because that actually causes too much inflammation in the body because now you're doing inflammation on top of inflammation. Let the inflammation die down for a bit. And then you can add another offense to it. Um, And that's fine with me. But for alcohol, once a week maximum. That's what works well for my body because it throws off my sleep too much. And so when I track my sleep and I look at my deep sleep, my REM, my heart rate variability, my resting heart rate, um, if I have a drink too close to bed, I'm not going to get the best night's sleep. Now, if I'm with friends on a Saturday night, and I want to enjoy their company, and I decide to have alcohol or not have alcohol, that's my choice. And that's okay. And I do that. And then Sunday's recovery the whole next week, and we're, we're good to go. So again, I think as we've been saying too, it's, it's getting well, and then learning more about your body in the process. You're not going to be perfect, and that's okay. Uh, but if you really get into this, you'll be there within 12 months. I mean, like next year at this time, um, and a year always seems far away in the present moment, but it's short as we look back. Uh, you'll be a, a totally yeah. different person. And you're going to feel better because that's ultimately the goal at the end of the day is just feel better in your body. And that's the beauty of this is when you start implementing these changes in your life, you're not going to want to go back to those foods before. You're not going to want to go back to that lifestyle before because you're going to feel so good in your body that you're not going to want to be in that sick state anymore. And there, you know, I have a personal story with you were talking about that kind of build up and consistency of food. So when I was in high school and actually it bled over into college as well, I had, I never got diagnosed with this, but looking back, I'm pretty sure that this is what was happening. I had some sort of psoriasis or something going on in the back of my scalp. And I mean, it was inflamed, red, it was constantly itching. I mean, just bothering me 24 seven, basically. And I didn't really think too much of it because I just kind of in the back of my mind was like, oh, this is just my life now, you know. Well, I ended up getting diagnosed right out of college with a wheat allergy and I cut gluten out of my diet. And I had remembered that the doctor had told me, she was like, you know, we kind of just need to get you back to a state of low inflammation, bring down the inflammation, then you can probably incorporate gluten back in, you know, in a little bit in your life. And so um, I've been gluten-free for the last 10 years. And last November, I had a friend come visit me and he has his sourdough that he loves. And I mean, he was making sourdough bread every day, was making a sourdough pizzas and sourdough pancakes. Like we like went for it. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm just going to go for it this week and see what happens. And, you know, it was fine. You know, the whole week I was like, oh my God, I feel great. And before when I was younger and I had gotten diagnosed, I would eat gluten and almost immediately I was in the fetal position because I was in so much pain. And so I started thinking, oh, wow, okay, so I can do this. The sourdough doesn't affect me as much, and, you know, like I'm fine. So then fast forward a week later, I got that psoriasis back in my scalp. It full-blown came back. And, I mean, I had forgotten about it because it had gone away when I was in college. This is like 12-plus years ago. And I was like, what is going on? Why am I like, so why am I getting all these crazy symptoms? And then I was able to connect it back. I was like, oh, wow, well, I just 
fully overloaded my body with an extremely inflammatory food for me, not saying it is for everyone, but gluten doesn't do well with my body. And I was able to make that connection. It's good that you were because a lot of people, again, you're not going to see that um, because it didn't happen after that first assault. But yeah. you, and I'm not saying to eat gluten for you, uh, but we found that even people with celiac, um, if they eliminate for a long enough period of time, they get their body and their gut rebalanced, that if they're exposed to it in the future, they're probably going to be fine. Don't go out of your way yeah. to eat it, of course, but you're probably going to be fine because you've rebalanced your body. Now, celiac's a different story because you actually have a genetic predisposition to an autoimmune reaction within your gut when you eat gluten and gliadin. So that, that's a bigger issue. But you know, for a lot of people like you, and again, I'm not saying do this, but in a week from now, you've now eliminated it for, let's just say months. Um, you'd probably be able to go out and have a little bit of gluten and you'd be perfectly fine and then wait another two weeks and, and you know, do it again. Uh, because again, it's like, it, it creates inflammation. There's no doubt about it. And gluten creates inflammation in every individual. It's just a, a let's call it a scale from 1% to 100%, with 100% being the fetal position and you're all inflamed and you end up with skin rashes or joint pain or whatever it might be. Um, but no matter what, I, I just did a show on this that it increases uh, zonulin. And when that happens, it's going to begin to increase intestinal permeability. Now, again, one meal of gluten, not a big deal. Uh, but what happens is over time, I mean, think about it. How many people wake up and they have cereal or breakfast bar or pastry or muffin or whatever it is. And then yeah. for lunch, they have a sandwich. And then at dinner, you do pizza for takeout or breaded chicken or whatever it might be. I mean, people are eating gluten three times a day. And it's just like, well, you can imagine the assault on the gut and the body when you've been doing it for that long. And that's what I did. I mean, that's how I grew up, cereal, sandwiches, and you know, pasta at dinner. So that was, uh, that was not helping me. <laughs> I know. Same. Neither um, for me as well. But yeah, and so this is something interesting too, the gut connection and the inflammation. Um, what I mentioned, so my doctor had told me that if I was able to heal my gut, get rid of that inflammation, then my body could take it in little increments again. And this is something I share with people a lot. Like anytime people start seeing a lot of sensitivities and allergies start popping up out of nowhere, I always tell people, go look at the gut health first, get, you know, some stool tests done, whatever it is, go see someone that's going to look at your gut and see what's going on. Because generally what that means is that there's some sort of inflammation and your body is unable to process and digest it. And there's like a deeper cause happening here. You're not just all of a sudden allergic to all these foods. That's right. Yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, mine happened from uh, poor eating as a child, no doubt about it, a lot of antibiotic use. For other people, it could be a uh, food combining issue. They're on proton pump inhibitors or acid blockers, which allows for a lot of this bacteria, parasites into the gut, uh, women on birth control, oral contraceptives. Uh, heavy yeah. metals, all of these things can disrupt the gut. Pesticides. Exactly. Yep. Pesticides is a huge one. Because uh, so they act like antibiotics. That's what we need to look at first. Yeah. That's why it's like antibiotics are fine if it's a life-saving based condition, but yes. for the common cold or like sniffles, I mean, that's what I used to get them for. It's really questionable. And so, you know, I, I, we just need to begin to have a different philosophy on health. And it's that, I mean, even, you know, as a board certified doctor, my, my job is not to heal anybody. My job is to put your body in position to heal itself. That's it. I take I away that. the toxicities that it has by giving you specific protocols for heavy metals, like natural chelating things such as biofilm disruptors, Craxil, chlorella, you know, certain things like that. And, and what I do is, again, take away the toxins and try to help replace those deficiencies based on labs. But at no point do I tell your body how to pull all those strings. 
That's not the way it works. And I think that if we're really being honest, um, practitioners or not, we don't know all of the beautiful intricacies within the body as to how it works. We have a really good idea, but we don't know everything. And that's why it's best not to pretend to play you know, creator. And you simply give the body what it needs and allow it then to heal itself. And some people get healed in 12 weeks, some 16, some in 21 days. It's like, well, it, how do we know? We don't know. We, we know only after the fact how imbalanced your body really was. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. Um, before we go, I, I'm curious your thoughts on food sensitivity tests. A lot of practitioners have very strong feelings in either direction about them. How do you feel about those? Yeah, it's like there's this there's this dogma that goes around in every single um, profession that it's just this need to be right. It's like your truth is better than somebody else's truth, and and it's like, well, you know, who who are we really trying to help here? So I always tell people that it's like. Whether I'm working with someone's medical doctor uh, or their personal trainer or whatever, we're all on the same page because the end goal is to help this patient or a wellness client heal. And so yeah. for me, inside of my practice, I can tell you for sure, myself included, that IgG, food sensitivity testing, is phenomenal. It really is. And they use it at places like Children's Hospital in Boston. There's a lot of great studies that show that it works. There are also studies saying that, well, we don't know if it works or not. That's how everything is. So does ashwagandha work for stress? Yeah, absolutely. Does it work in 100% of cases? No, it doesn't. Which is why we use synergistic products that's not just ashwagandha for stress. It's L-theanine, phospholocerine, rhodiola, ashwagandha. It's like it's, you don't have to rely on just one thing. That's the nice thing. And do we ever just do food sensitivity testing? And if someone's not positive for something, then we don't eliminate it. No, we'll eliminate it based on the person's story as well, because IgG is one immunoglobulin. So if someone's like, well, Mm. I eat dairy and every time I eat dairy, I get cramping and loose stool. Okay. Well, that actually has nothing to do with your immune cells, your immunoglobulins. That has to do with most likely lactose intolerance, which is an enzyme lactase to break down lactose. So that has nothing to do with the sensitivity. That's a digestive issue. So when we're talking about sensitivities, we're talking about a sensitivity to the particular protein that might be escaping from the bloodstream. And so um, I, I'm a wholehearted uh, believer in it. I don't take any lab in general, though, as the end-all be-all. That's why you do a consultation. You speak with your practitioner. Their story means as much as the numbers because this is not conventional medicine. This is functional medicine or integrative health. And um, so, no, I'm, I'm, I definitely use it. Uh, I've seen it work phenomenally well in my practice. And it's been a great guide for a lot of people, especially with migraines, skin issues, allergies, et cetera, that sets off the TH2 side of the immune system. Yeah. I'm of the mind that it's always a great jumping off point. You know, it's kind of, you go there first and then it will hopefully send you on a path to where you can continue on and figure out what is really going on. And, um, and it's important too, to note that when you go and see an integrative doctor versus like a conventional doctor, when you just go see your conventional doctor, you see them for what, maybe 10 minutes and then they're on to the next. Whereas if you sit down with an integrative functional medicine doctor, your first appointment, depending on who you go to, is an hour, hour and a half. They want to know everything that's going on in your body, your lifestyle, how's your social life, how's your mental health. All of these things play a role. And I think that a lot of those get overlooked. And it's important that people understand that there's so much more involved. It's everything. Like We need to know everything that's going on in your life, not just your diet and are you sleeping. 
the psycho-emotional perspective is, is huge. And you're just not going yeah. to get that through conventional medicine. But again, it's not their fault. You go to school as a medical yeah. doctor to diagnose disease based on solely blood work and whatever comes up as a disease, you medicate with a specific pharmaceutical. That's not the medical doctor's fault. That's the game. Okay. And, but I'll be honest with you, 99% of the population wants that. They're not, they're not listening to your podcast. They're not saying, oh, I'm going to get myself well. And, And I think it's unfortunate and I wish it wasn't the case, but it's still the case. So we still need medication for those people. But if you're willing to work on your nutrition, you're willing to start to walk at your 10,000 steps a day. You're willing to start to calm your mind, to reframe your mindset, to look at the way that you look at the world and to handle stress and to work on your sleep, then you deserve robust health. Because I'll tell you right now, like my life now is infinitely better than when I was sick. I was still the same human being, but I was miserable. I mean, absolutely miserable. So I didn't want to live that life anymore. I wanted energy. I wanted to go after my goals in life, but you don't get to do any of that until you actually get healthy. And so that's why, again, like that's why I also feel bad in a way that a lot of people don't even know that any of this exists. They don't. And their medical doctor will never tell them that. Uh, And they'll always say things like, well, it's not based on science. (laughs) You know, I always ask like, when's the last time you read science? Like when's the last time you read a book or a scientific study? Because I have a lot of my friends or colleagues that are medical doctors. And I'm like, how many journals are you reading? How many books are you reading? And I mean, I do it like, you know, as them joking around about their colleagues, but most people aren't. Like you learn what you learn in school and that's it. So if your doctor's like 65 years old, again, nothing wrong with a 65-year-old doctor, um, but they may not have read anything or barely anything for 30 years. And so like anything new that's current. So I'm just, I try to myself to be, I'm not perfect by any means, but I keep my mind open. I'm learning from everybody. And I, I just, um, I'm always searching for what are the other truths out there that might come in conflict with my truth? And whose truth might this be that I'm not offering right now? And, and I think if you have that mindset, uh, well, for my practice, you can't help but help more people. But also, if you have that mindset for yourself, you can't help but eventually get well and, and lose the weight as well. Because just one thing about the weight that I want to say is picture yourself, and I actually recommend this for people, buy a 40-pound weight vest. It's going to cost you $40, $50. Wear that weight vest around when you're in your house. Think about how awful you feel with that extra 40 pounds on. Everything is harder. Try lying down with it. It compresses your chest. Think about taking that 40 pounds off. When you take off that weight vest, even though you have your own extra 40 pounds, you can actually adjust these vests. You feel so much lighter. You feel so much more energetic. Think about that for yourself. And we do that all the time. You know, when, when we had an actual practice, now our practice is virtual. And people appreciate it because they say, I get it. I understand it. And I just think that we need more of that. It's like, how do you visualize? How do you think of yourself already in that end state? Because it's hard because you get to put in some work. Uh, but the work yeah. is worth it if you can feel, if you can already feel that state of where you'll be at one day. Absolutely. Like you said, it, what is better than feeling great in your body? You know, you can't function and live a life that you want to live when you're fatigued have brain fog, your brain doesn't function, you know, as well. Because think about like, there's that connection between the gut and the brain in the vagus nerve. And when your gut is inflamed, you're going to have brain fog. You're not going to have as, um, your cognitive function is not going to be as great. There's so many different things going on. And once you, when you start getting to that place of feeling better, it's going to immensely change your life in every area. Without a doubt. And also I want to, yeah. And I want to touch on one more thing that you said. So I, I've, I hate this. Everyone is right now saying like, I believe in the science. And I think when people say that, they forget that science is 
ever-evolving and ever-changing. And we need to realize that when new information comes out, we need to be malleable enough to say like, okay, well, now, now we know this. We knew this before, but now we know this. And we need to be able to move with it and be okay with some of our theories being questioned and um, really looking at the science as something that's not just like a state and then that's it. That's not debatable, but something that's ever evolving and ever changing. And, you know, it's great. You talked about like, so the 65-year-old doctor and a great point, um, you know, if he's not keeping up with the science, he may have no idea about this gut connection that we only learned about in the last like 10, 15 years. He probably didn't learn that when he was in medical school. And again, it's just, we're always learning new things about the body. And as these things come out, we need to constantly be keeping up with it and changing and being okay with the changes of it. Yeah. And that's the real issue. So let's say you built an entire practice or business around one form of nutrition. You're going to find every study that points that you're correct, right? And you're going to forget all the others, right? So should everybody be fasting for 16 hours a day? I can show you studies that show it's positive. I can show you studies that's negative. Should everybody be following a keto diet? I can show you Thousands of women that it's hurt after about 28 days, that it's lowered their thyroid, it's caused adrenal-based issue, adrenal dysfunction, uh, or what's called the diurnal dysfunction where adrenals uh, or cortisol starts to get produced more at night than in the morning. Um, so it's, it's like all of these things are correct, but they're correct for who and for also how long. So, yeah. you know, I believe in a 24-hour fast. But am I doing that every day? No, right? Because I have to eat food. So it's like, well, when should I do that? So the, you know, like you just said, this, the science is malleable for your viewpoint. That's a big thing. Uh, but also, you know, people thought they were really smart with medicine in the late 1800s. And it's disturbing if you go back to see what they were doing. And so I question mm-hmm. a lot of what conventional medicine is doing, though. But I don't question a lot of what natural health is doing. I question when it's taken too far. So that's the only yeah. issue. So. In Ayurvedic medicine, I mean, we have 6,000 years of tried and true natural medicine and natural health. In traditional Chinese medicine, we have 3,000, a little over 3,000 years. We have Greek, we have Roman-based, we have Native American styles of health. So we're looking at these things, and and so that's what I did actually for my internships. I traveled around the world, and I studied in India and Sri Lanka and China and Europe and all around the U.S., and I saw more similarities than differences. And that's why I started to move towards that functional medicine detox and things like that, because they healed people through subtractive properties. So they realized yeah. that adding more to someone that's already full is only making them worse. So it's like you try to get someone to process 30 vitamins, you know, or like, um, you know, 30 capsules, we'll say like, oh, this person's low on CoQ10, they're low on B12, they're low on this. Low. Yeah, they do need all of them. But they can't process all of them through their liver because their liver is so backed up. And so it's like, so I look at two ways. I look at the science now. What does is, what is Ayurveda say? 6,000 years. Because every time I've gone against Ayurveda, I've been wrong. And if it's just like a new way of saying it from a scientific perspective, I love it. Um, but I also, I like anecdotal evidence as a good starting point as well. And I knew this because 24, not 25 years ago, but close to it. I started in the nutrition and fitness based field. And I realized that everything my colleagues were doing, because I was young, you know, and so like I looked at them, what were they doing? None of this was written in any of my certification textbooks, but it was 10, 15 years later. So what, call, what, what practitioners are doing in practice now, as long as it is based on science, that this is probably going to be the truth in the future. So yeah. When I got diagnosed with intestinal permeability in the early 2000s, yeah, you're right. Conventional medicine laughed at it. 
now there's all sorts of Harvard-based publications um, from like Dr. Alessio Fisano uh, that all about gluten and zonulin. And well, yeah, okay. So science finally caught up to what we already knew. Um, So I would be careful. I I like a blend of what we know to work uh, and then also on science and be very careful of the fringe science. So there's a lot of popularity with nicotinamide riboside as an anti-aging nutrient. Well, I think it's I think it's fantastic. I think it's very powerful. But taking more of it may be a really bad thing because now we're finding that it's depleting methyl donors and all. So it's again, it's like in our Western-based mindset, we take yoga too far. Like what happened to Hatha Yoga? Is Hatha Yoga not okay? We had to make it like yoga for sports. We take a little bit of resveratrol or nicotinamide riboside or all these things. It's just taken too far. That's it. And so yeah. um, a lot of something is not better than some of something is what I found as well. Yeah, I love that so much. And I just, I love the approach of integrative and functional medicine and the Ayurvedic approach as well, because um, oftentimes they're doing tiny little tweaks and, you know, supplements and diet changes and whatever it is. And it seems as though it's an approach to, um, to have the less amount of symptoms and create less amount of harm as possible. Whereas you look at some of these drugs, I mean, just think about the drug commercials that we hear for pharmaceuticals. And then at the very end, it's really fast and like low voice, but they're naming off all these horrible, insane symptoms. And so for me, I'm just of the mind of like, okay, I don't want to vilify medication. We probably would not be here as humans on this planet without Western medicine and medication. But I do think that oftentimes it's better to take the less harmful approach in the beginning and really try to rule out everything else so that you can so that you can really just get back to a healthier body, you know, and and do less harm instead of just going straight for the the pharmaceutical drugs. That's right. Only in acute based circumstances where your your life depends on it or a loved one's life depends on it. You know, when you get a staph infection or something like that, you don't want to mess around and say, well, because you might be able to fix it with things like tea tree oil, oregano oil, cloves, thyme, et cetera. But But at the same time, like you well, don't want to risk why that. Why risk that? Yeah, exactly. Why risk <laughs> exactly. that? Exactly. So just take the antibiotics and then at the same time, okay, take some Saccharomyces boulardii, yes. some probiotics, some you know glutamine and, and zinc to help rebuild your gut. That's a much smarter approach. You can always come back, but you need to be, make sure that you came back in order to be able to heal yes. these things. Yeah, for sure. Yes, exactly. And it's being able to differentiate between like when you actually, these are like the life or death situations where you really need it versus just like you said, like a common cold, taking an antibiotic is not even really going to do anything. You know, it's, it's supposed to target bacteria, yes. not a virus. No, you're 100% right. And so. they've also found that, if anything, it helps you get better 24 to 36 hours faster. That's it. Because it takes 72 yeah. hours for your immune cells to really start to build up. And we kind of forget that. It's like, oh, well, if I've, been, if I've had this cold for four or five days, then it's been going on too, for too long. Well, well, a normal cold is you know, somewhere between four and maybe up to three weeks. And so um, I think that our impatience sometimes lends us to, but also what we've been taught. I mean, I grew up believing that uh, conventional medicine was almost like a religion. Like it was not to be questioned. It was yeah. this, it was almighty. Like you, you, you never questioned your doctor. And, um, and now I think that we don't need to question our doctors, but we need to understand what they're there for. Conventional medicine is there to help you in acute-based circumstances with disease. And then you can, ha- you can have a integrative health practitioner and a medical doctor, and you should. You shouldn't get rid of your medical yes. doctor. You should just have both. They do two different things, and that's a great way to look at it. Yes. Oh, I love that so much. So before we go, I ask everyone this, what are your health non-negotiables? Meaning um, no matter what, no no matter how busy your day is, these are things that you do 
to promote health and um, and just feel good in your body. So like, for example, I always go for a walk outside no matter what. So I get vitamin D and I get exercise. That is like a non-negotiable for me. I, I do. I've actually built up a bunch of these over the years. And that's because my work is so crazy and so intense that I'm in that sympathetic nervous system. So now I need to be able to switch to that parasympathetic nervous system three times a day. So I have three anchors. So what I do is I have an hour to myself in the morning before my two young daughters wake up. That's my time. The rest of my day, honestly, until eight o'clock at night is everybody else's. And I'm okay with that. But I need my one hour in the morning. So that's it. It's actually, it's just a very relaxed hour in the morning. I do some some movements. Um, I, I make myself a smoothie. I actually make some for my daughters as well. Um, it just, it's just relaxed. We'll put it that way. Actually, the smoothie doesn't come for about an hour and a half to two hours after waking, but that's a story for another day. But it's relaxed. And then at lunch, I take my, I do the same thing. I take a walk every day. I tell people that unless it's raining sideways, because I can't be soaked going back to work, I'm outside. Yeah. I mean, I'm outside in the snow. I'm outside whatever it is in Boston. And, and then at the end of the day, um, I have some quiet time as well. So it's basically like noise all day and then quiet, calm the nervous system. Quiet. I have a quiet lunch to myself. I'm with people all day uh, over video and all that now. So I have a quiet lunch to myself. I might watch a video. I might watch something funny, just something binaural beats to switch my nervous system. Okay. And then at the, cause you should be relaxed while you're eating, right? So I don't want to do work yeah. while I'm eating. So that's what I do. And then at the end of the day, um, it's really the same thing. It's making sure that I get home every single night to enjoy dinner with my family. I turn my phone off uh, and I relax. And so uh, those are my non-negotiables. I also keep food very simple. Like a lot of people love to come up with all these gourmet recipes. And I I eat not the same thing every day, but it's, it's simple, very, very simple. And that's a nice way for me to enjoy my meals without being stressed about them. I can save my fun meals, yeah. you know, for that twice a week, like I talk about. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Uh, well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Please tell everyone where they can find you. So I do a daily podcast about all of the topics that we talked about today. They're about 20 minutes long. Uh, that's called the Cabral Concept. Uh, everything can basically be found on my social media, um, just at stephencabral.com. And my book is called The Rain Barrel Effect. So that is uh, essentially the principles I teach. The first half of the book is how you got sick or overweight or you feel like you're aging rapidly. And the second half is about the de-stress protocol. So that is that. And then also we, we train uh, a lot of great practitioners all over the world. And they're called integrative health practitioners. A lot of people use the term. It's fantastic. We don't try to take the term from anybody. And um, so that's what I say is like, you don't have to work with me, work with an integrative health practitioner, work with someone that does this style of coaching. And uh, we also open source all of this at equa.life, E-Q-U-I.L-I-F-E. And that's where people can get the labs anywhere in the world, the protocols so that you don't have to ask a doctor if they're unwilling to do it for you, because to be honest, most are not. Many are. Yeah. I've seen that as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We will have all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much. Today was so good. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Real Foodology Podcast. If you liked this episode, please leave a review in your podcast app to let me know. This is a resident media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Chris McCone. The theme song is called Heaven by the amazing singer Georgie, spelled with a J. Love you guys so much. See you next week. Bye.